Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I am Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Today, we are very, very lucky to have on the show Tara Wheeler. Tara is uh, the author of a great book called uh, Women in Tech. She's uh, the website security czar for Symantec, and uh, she's also a, a biohacker. And so she's involved <laughs> in all sorts of cool stuff. Tara, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah, super fun. So I've uh, I've been super impressed by your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've read it uh, a couple different times and dipped into it. And uh, so it's called Women Attack. And you published this thing this year, right? That was a 2016? Yeah, it was just a couple of months ago. Yeah. And uh, I got to tell you, uh, you sent me this just lovely email about that a, a while back, letting me know that you had really appreciated it just out of the middle of nowhere. And it, it meant a lot that you did that. Thank you so much, Joe. It was wonderful. Well, for sure. I, so I, I do get kind of excitable around books. And so mm. I, I forgot where I was. I was on a bus or I was on somewhere where I was reading it. And I thought, man, this is just great. And I was just, you know, I just felt like just sending you an email saying, this is great. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad you, I'm glad you <laughs> thought that was all right. Some people, uh-huh. you know, I think probably yeah. maybe some writers receive emails like that and wonder, gosh, you know, who, who is this crazy person sending me a random email? <laughs> No, we all we all love it. Trust me. There's, there's other kinds of crazy emails that aren't nearly as much fun to receive. <laughs> well, it's it's a pretty awesome book. So you got Esther Dyson to write the, the intro, which was uh-huh. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's stunning. Yeah, I like to think of that as the uh, the clip, my my Picard number of two. If you're a giant nerd, you know about uh, Erdos numbers in mathematics, which is how closely you have been in social network terms to a very prolific mathematician, a, a Hungarian mathematician of the of the 20th century called Paul. Paul Erdos. Uh, well, in Nerdland, I, I have a, a Picard number of two because Picard, Captain Picard, in, uh, um, went and discovered a, a Dyson sphere in outer space. And this, of course, is Freeman Dyson's daughter. Uh, Esther Dyson is just a very inspiring figure to me. She's a humanitarian, a philanthropist, a technologist, um, a journalist. And so it was just, it was such an honor. I was kind of quaking the entire time I was talking to her. <laughs> Yeah, that's really it's really neat. So, so you just uh, like you wrote you wrote this book. As if I recall, you wrote it pretty. I mean, you pretty quickly. Like you sat down and you and you cranked this book in a couple of months. Or how long did it take you? Uh, I think I had started. So there was there was a couple of things that I had thought out and planned out. Uh, it, but I actually started the book about shoot. I, I think the process of writing it. Um, overall from the moment that I knew I was going to write it to the moment that it came out was probably about sixteen months. Uh, so that actually is kind of lightning fast because typically a, a, a traditional publisher will take quite a quite a long time to get something like this out. This is what they called a drop-in book, which I didn't I didn't understand that at the time, but apparently that's pretty damn cool. Uh, it, it means that the publisher has kind of rushes you through the process of getting your book edited, getting it out there. But this is just it was such a timely topic that the publisher uh, and this is uh, Penguin Random House, local here in Seattle. It's Sasquatch Books is my publisher. They're the they're part of the the overarching folk that make up the biggest publisher in the world. And I got to tell you, I, I think I had a much more gentle introduction to that, the, that world than most first time mass market writers ever do. So yeah, it took a just great editing, uh, spectacular contributions from extraordinary women in every direction. Um, and it was a, it was a pleasure to, to do this. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I loved about the book was uh, well. So for those who haven't read the book or flipped through it, it's a uh, it's a book that's chock full of really great practical advice on on how to you know how to work in tech or how to get jobs in tech and how to interview and how to write your resume and how to respond to particular uh, 
what might be described as frustrating situations or potentially frustrating situations and how to sort of, and I, I found the book, um, I know it's titled women attack, but I mean, I think it's talk full of great practical advice for anybody. Um, A lot of people are saying that actually, uh, most of the guys that I know, and this is kind of funny because part of the reason I wrote this was to help, uh, decrease the gender gap in technology. I've probably gotten a hundred messages from men thanking me because they did a great job in their last salary negotiation after reading this. And I was like, that's awesome. So glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I, I love the practical advice uh, parts of the book, but then what, what you did, which is really cool is you found like, uh, you know, some really cool stories uh, that you blended in from women who've worked in tech and done, who are just doing cool things. How did you find those people? Who Tell us who they are again. How did you find them? Uh, of course. So the the women involved in this are just, they're, they're unbelievable. They're extraordinary. Um, I knew that I wanted to run a Kickstarter to do this. And I'll tell you, that's a, uh, when, when you can show a market for, for all of you aspiring writers out there, there's a reason why I did a Kickstarter. This was me essentially hacking the publishing process. I didn't want to go through the process of trying to send out inquiry letters to a zillion and one publishers. Instead, I pushed it out there, had pre-sales for the book and let publishers come to me. This is a hell of a way to hack this process. And in so doing, I actually had a chance to reach out to a few women before the Kickstarter began. And then, of course, the Kickstarter pushed me out to several more women who uh, came in during the process, which was really exciting to me. And uh, let me just go ahead and... Uh, so the, 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 the story then, of course, in 2014, 2015 was Gamergate. And it was a pleasure and an honor having Brianna Wu, uh, who is, she's, she's the primary target of Gamergate. It's, it, was, it was horrifying to watch what happened and to just watch her take that experience and turn it into positive advice and a great, inspiring story for, for women in technology was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. I mean, that was sort of, a, Mike, I don't know how much, pay, how much do you kind of pay attention to that whole thing, but it was certainly pretty weird. Um, yeah. It seems like it's carrying over in it like a, in a larger scale into this presidential election and like Gamergate is like a, it's, it's just kind of scary. Um, is, is Gamergate, I mean, you probably, you obviously know, know much more about Gamergate than I do. I've been just kind of watching it from the sidelines, but is it, is it about kind of, uh, anonymity on the web or, or are there like, is, is, is Gamergate like a faceless anonymous, like, mass of people that has like just a, a bunch of hate that they want to spread or is it is it like are there gamergate um like mm -hmm. figures that are public and and that are not anonymous and are just saying we i, I don't know the, the the message seems so hateful it seems like it, it wouldn't work with a, like that no one would actually claim responsibility for it is is there a, uh, is there like a group? Unfortunately, there's there's absolutely public figures out there discussing this. Um, you you will you will have recently seen, I think, Leslie Jones, the uh, star mm -hmm. of Ghostbusters, leaving Twitter um, after uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. Um, and I'm probably I I don't know how many times I've actually said the guy's name out loud. Come to think of it, uh, Milo Nero on Twitter uh, was actually finally banned from Twitter for encouraging uh, some unbelievably sexist and racist attacks on, on Leslie Jones. And he had certainly, uh, I, I had come to his notice. He uh, certainly Brianna had, and he was, um, certainly a very instrumental figure in, in putting a lot of that together. Honestly, a lot of this comes from the forums on Reddit, uh, comes from all over the internet. There are people who have genuinely good intentions, I think. And, and this is me kind of Part of the reason I was able to pull a book like this together is I like to see all sides of different things. Uh, so I think there are genuinely people who are concerned with um, ethics and journalism who are part of Gamergate. I think that their sense of priorities, um, seeing that they're part of a movement which 
as a tool for providing better ethics in games journalism, decides that it's a great idea to throw women and people of color off the internet, I question their sense of priority, that they, that they would not um, think that that is a worse thing, I suppose is a good way to put it. Uh, now, I, I can attribute good motives to a lot of folks, but the truth is, is that I was never a primary target. I was just, a, I, I got caught in the crossfire on a couple of different occasions. Um, you might call it a proto-Gamergate situation that happened to me in 2012 when I ran my original Kickstarter for Lady Coders, which is a video series teaching women uh, how to get jobs in technology, which is where a lot of this, this all came from. And I'll say that um, this, this undercurrent of hate and pain that we see in the election, this undercurrent um, that, that explodes on Twitter every so often and, and in the public sphere is, I think it's a, it's a really, it's a really painful over time, hopefully, rejection of a way of thinking that says that people don't matter, that, um, that it's more important for, for people to be racist and sexist than others to be protected. Um, I'm, I find that dangerous, problematic, uh, and most of the time right now, I just try not to think about it as much. Um, Is there a way, yeah. I kind of wonder, like, so, uh, again, I've been on the sidelines too, and I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a man, a white male that's on Twitter and I see this stuff fly by. Is there, I'm trying to think like, do you have an, any advice for people like me who, who disagree with all this, but don't really want to get into the middle of it? Like, I mean, I, I don't know that fighting with trolls on the internet is a productive way to, to, to engage and to, to spend time. But at the same time, you know, I feel like I'd like to support the people that are, that are being attacked and, and let people know that, that I don't, that I don't share the beliefs of, of these, these men don't speak for all men. Uh, how do, how do we, how do, how do we as men uh, do that? Make, make, cause what I'd love, I'd love to believe that this is such a minority opinion, but it just happens to be from the people that are shouting the loudest. And I don't know if it means maybe, you know, maybe I, maybe I need to get more involved and, uh, and, and post things that are counter to the Gamergate to show people that there's other opinions. But I mean, what do you recommend? Like for, for folks that are trying to, to, um, I don't know, help, help, tip, help the tip, situation, tip, help the situation or tip, tip things so that it's not so one, one-sided and hateful. Well, I can tell you this, um, this is, this is a great way to bring this up, Joe, uh, especially Joe, um, you said you read my book several times. One of the things that women in this situation experience is, um, while they are, while they're busy putting the message out there, um, the men that want to help either feel like they would be just contributing if they posted anything in response, or they try to help, but they're not actually listening. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that as I have signed, you know, I've signed several thousand copies of my book at this point, And at this point, I've probably had about 300 maybe men um, come in and have me sign my book to them. And every single one of them, they all have this uncomfortable look on their face, like they're not going to crack the book open because it says lady people on the front of it. Uh, and just almost the joke, where, Joe, where you said, uh, you know, it's it's so strange. It says women on the front of the cover, but oh my gosh, it was applicable to all people too. I was like, yeah, it, it, it's a women are people. <laughs> all of this information is applicable to everyone. It's just that it's often not sent to the right people. If you're trying to help this situation, the best thing that you can do, if you want my personal opinion, and this comes from an entrepreneur, a hacker, somebody who spent a lot of time doing the scientific research on this. Look around you and make sure that the women that you see are paid the same as the men around them. 
Make sure that they are getting opportunities for stretch assignments. Make sure that they are getting promotions. The major problems that happen with women in technology don't happen because girls and women are not interested in technology. They happen because at every step along the pipeline, there's a leak and women leave the field at 50, at, at twice again the rate that men do. So when you hit the, the management level, the, the big gap in technology, once you've hit the field, once you're ready to go, you hit between 28 and 25 and 35 year old women, they never get that first promotion to manager or director. So make sure that's happening. If you're not seeing uh, at least two women in an interview cycle of five, ask yourself why not. One woman is a token, two women you're actually trying. Those are the ways that you actually help this problem. My belief is that when you hand women money and economic power, they'll solve their own damn problems. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's really good. And that, that's actually, uh, that's actually one of the reasons why I love your book so much is because it just speaks so, uh, plainly in like to your, to the point, you, you get, you get to the point right away. You don't screw around. You get really good, you get really good practical advice. And, uh, so I thought it was a super, a super fun thing to read. And I like the story. I mean, you told some great stories, you told some fun stories about your childhood. I thought those were cool. <laughs> Uh, now you're gonna have to you're gonna have to ask me which ones because I'm scared at this point if you if you ask me to tell you something I might spill something that hasn't been in the book yet and <laughs> I'm well, gonna get my mom into trouble. No, I just like the I just I really liked it and I think anyone out there who's uh, who's listening, I mean go go pick it up go pick up the book on Kindle or whatnot and uh, and and read it. It's really great. It's really great. So you're gonna work on another. Uh, so I've got several uh, that that are kind of in the pipeline right now, um, and I, I don't think it's it's any shock to anybody that I'm certainly looking at the the sequel to uh, Women in Tech, uh, and we're looking at that right now. So uh, new, more news coming out about that, but that one is certainly already in the works and in the pipeline. So pretty exciting there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so tell us, we've talked some on the show about uh, various Kickstarters, and and uh, that's actually been a, a kind of a recurring theme on the show because it's. Sure. Pretty interesting to talk about what works in that context, what doesn't. I like what you just described about how you sort of hack the publishing process. We'd love right. to hear more about that. Sure. Uh, well, I, I can tell you that um, how, this was the largest, as far as as far as we know, this was the largest Kickstarter that was ever uh, picked up by a publishing comp- by a major publishing company in the middle of it. Uh, we set a record for anthologies. We set a record for tech books uh, for for general for mass market tech books. This was this was huge. Uh, the the call the market was was clearly out there, and I knew that as an author. People kept asking me to write the book, and finally I was like, "All right, well, I'll, I'll make it happen." I wanted, I, and this is kind of a funny tangent for you. My idea was, if I just write the book, people will stop asking me. I can just hand them the book. Instead, now all I do is boil the points down into like three or five points for stories and podcasts. <laughs> it kills me. Um, so, but what I, what I was doing was very deliberate, I think, was just, I wanted to see what the interest was out there. And the worst possible case scenario I found myself in was either the, was the Kickstarter would fail and then I wouldn't have to, to put that, the book out or it would succeed. And I would put the book out and I would do my best or it would get picked up by a major publisher and I would get the full treatment on it, which clearly in this case was a, was a really good idea. Um, if about- you know the, the markets out there, go for it, give it a shot. So uh, in terms of like working with a publisher, I know that for a lot of authors now, there's the question about whether they want to self-publish or whether they want to work with a, with a, a publishing house. And and in your case, you had the Kickstarter and you were you had interest. Tell, tell us about the decision to go with the publisher and sort of what they brought to the table uh, to, to make it to make it interesting. I will strongly advise right now that if you are not an author who is already experienced with self-publishing or you don't know that that's what you want to do for a living. 
don't self-publish your book. Uh, there, the, the process, the learning curve is just too high on what's going to be marketable, how to get your book out there, what you need to do. Um, just there, there are times and reasons why you go with an expert, you know, Joe, you're a lawyer. There's a reason why I don't represent myself in court, right? If I'm a lawyer, I'm not going to be scared about heading to, you know, court myself and representing myself for a traffic ticket or, you know, a minor infraction, but I'm not, I'm going to find somebody who knows what they're doing to handle a situation. And most especially a system that I don't understand. Yeah. And this is what I was doing in this case. Sometimes you just get an expert and this is going to be discouraging, but I don't mean for it to sound this way. If you have a book that you can't get interest in, in a Kickstarter and a publisher's not interested, it's possible that the problem is just that you don't have a market out there. You may need to retool it a little bit because if someone, if your book is marketable and if you get that book to the right people and that shows that you have the capacity to, to reach people, that you've got a network, that you've developed out expertise in something, people are going to want it. And you may not get a lot of money or you might get a lot of money. Who knows? Um, I, I'm certainly never going to make a dime off this book. I'm, I'm in the hole for it, believe me, even after the Kickstarter and such. Uh, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to market a book. But if you are somebody who, who doesn't want to be a full-time writer for a living, don't self-publish your book. It's it's just too much effort. Interesting. Well, so one thing you said, um, harken back to other things we've heard in the show, and then just things I've, I've observed personally, which is that Kickstarter is going to be a great way to figure out if uh, if people want what you what you're proposing to make. Oh yeah. And so I, that's exactly what you experienced here. You found out people did want it, and you and you. I've forgotten what total amount you raised, but you, you, it wasn't an insignificant amount of money you raised. Well, Thirty three thousand. I think we pre sold somewhere around seven or eight. 100 copies. Yeah. Yeah. Is, that's a good, that's a good, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good number. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very indicative. That is a pre-sale of a book that hasn't yet come out. That isn't even written yet. Publishers. Yeah. I, I, I had several offers for it. So, totally, and I went with really a really awesome. great local yeah, company here, part of the Penguin Random House family and it, and it worked out very, very well. Did they contact you or did you, I mean, so as, as an author, if somebody's, so that's interesting. So, so it sounds like a really great way to, to, to a, a nice way in that other people might be able to follow is to to follow this Kickstarter path instead of trying to get the attention of of publishers with a letter or some sample chapters. Um, yeah, I'm thinking yeah. that's a sucker bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's that's really cool because that's something I think people could replicate, and it's a nice a nice model that worked. Um, so tell me, this is changing changing the subject a little bit, but how did how did you get your start in tech? I know that you know women in tech is a is a big issue, and that there's people like you said that are sort of dropping out of the, of the space. And then women in, in, in your case, you're in security, right? Like, uh, uh, which is information security, which has got to be even fewer women, right? Is that, is that like, that strikes me as being a, a really a tough boys club to maybe break into or feel comfortable. What's that, How did you get, how did you get there? And what was it like? Uh, well, there's, I suppose there's three inflection points there. One is, uh, my stepdad had a computer wholesaling company when I was younger and I built, uh, machines for him, whole bunches of, x86s, just lots and lots and lots of them. Uh, so I put computers together and to me, they were like jigsaw puzzles. And as a result, I think at a young age, I just didn't think they were very scary. Uh, when I was like 15, 16, I, I hadn't had much exposure to technology before then. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, when I was in graduate school, I ended up, um, I was doing a lot of work on, uh, political science, complex systems. Think of, think of the work that I was doing as applied math applied to warfare. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time writing in Java, writing math and writing simulations, computational simulations to, you know, experience human behavior simulated out. Um, and that's how I got my start. You could expose in the, in the field. Interestingly enough, uh, you know, Microsoft 
had me uh, come aboard to work on a couple of Xbox game sites. And uh, yeah, so the Lips for Xbox and the Halo team. I, I like to say that I think they may not have entirely understood the difference between game theory and game design when they <laughs> wanted me to come aboard, but hey, it all worked out. Um, yeah, and I'll say that uh, several years ago now, uh, half a decade or a little more now, um, information security didn't so much invite me to join the field as it dragged me into a back alley, coshed me over the head and informed me I was now one of the team. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't not. This is the greatest part of technology, I think. Um, InfoSec has puzzles and math and games and crazy people like me. <laughs> and I just, I love every part of it. I love being part of the community. I love contributing to it. I love exploring the far reaches of technology, which is why I've, I've started doing some work in, uh, in biohacking. Yeah, I want to hear about that because that sounds that sounds really interesting. Tell me about the biohacking side of things. Uh, well, so one of the things I'm very interested in is at what point do we stop being human? And that's a conversation I had when I spoke this year at DEF CON at Biohacking Village. Uh, and I, for instance, have two RFID chips in my hands. Um, one is a low frequency, one is a high frequency. It's a, what you call an NFC, a near-field chip. And the uh, the experience of working with some of the, the people that even people in information security think are a little bit out there is, is really extraordinary to me. Uh, these are very free thinking and interesting people who are interested as I was in very interdisciplinary applications of technology. I was interested when I was doing my PhD in the intersection of math and psychology and cognitive behavioral theory and political science and international relations. And now, you know, I've, I've taken that and transitioned it into international global relations when it comes to technology and conflict and how we look at that with human beings and, and the way that we're going to, the way we're going to manifest ourselves in the future. At what point do we stop uh, being a, a human and start becoming a digital memory. It's really fascinating to me. So, you and know, I, I was Elon Musk keeps talking about this neural lace that he wants to fund. Have you heard about that? The uh, his his idea is, uh, and I mean, it's not probably not his idea. It's one that he just thinks is interesting and maybe worth funding. Um, the idea uh, of finding better ways to interface computers with the brain so that mm -hmm. we can extend our capacity to think and and to access information, and that that we won't have to bridge that through a slow connection to a computer, um, through, through like a monitor and, and our eyes and instead have some kind of a better pathway in and out of the brain. Um, that stuff sounds really interesting. I've, I've, have you, I've also heard about, I guess I've heard of some folks that have put like very strong magnets in their fingertips so yeah. that they can get like a, an extra set of, uh, an extra sense, uh, for magnetic fields and things. That's um, probably going to be my next one. I oh think. Yeah? yeah. What do you, um, so what is that? Have you talked to people that have done it? What is that like? Um, I'm, I'm friends with, so there's a, there's a gentleman here who is actually in Seattle. And if you haven't had a chance to speak with him, I actually highly recommend that you do. His name is Emil Grofstra. He's, uh, he does the podcast dangerous thing or the, the company and podcast dangerous things. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, it's quite fascinating. He's what I would call probably the most prominent independent researcher into biohacking. And, uh, he's the one who actually did both my implants. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the source. It's sort of like getting a tattoo done. You want to make sure you hit the right guy. Right. Um, uh, and I, I've had a chance to, to look at and think about this and magnets are fascinating. You get a sense of magnetic fields apparently. Um, and I'm now very interested in that there's a uh, biopolymer, flexible biopolymers out there that are, that are interesting. I want to see what those applications are. But I mean, for someone who, for someone like Elon Musk who wants to talk about interfacing technology with the human body, I'm already doing that. You got to start somewhere. I mean, trying oh, yeah. to start with the brain maybe isn't the best plan. Well, like, yeah, you exactly. Gotta, it, work, your way, work your way to it. Mm -hmm. 
we didn't start with Siri. We started with go to line 10, you know? Right. So that's, that's where you have to start. And it's, it's okay to do that. Uh, it's, it's great to dream big, but it also takes people on the ground experimenting with this. You know, you, you start dreaming big and then you, you make a little bit of it happen every single day. That's how you pro that's how you progress humanity. Yeah, so you've got, so you've got, you've got two chips you said in your hand. Uh-huh. Yeah. You said an NFC chip. And then what's the other one? It's a low frequency chip. So it's a, it's a much smaller one. So yeah, I, I've, uh, I've cloned various and sundry interesting things to it. But if you want a good example of how I think of, uh, of humanity and technology, I'm, I happen to be Catholic. And uh, after setting up this, uh, this game, I, was, I originally got my low-frequency chip in my left hand for a game that we were going to be doing in, in New York City. I was actually running the Mr. Robot Games at Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, they, they were the sponsor for, the, for Tribeca Film Festival, and I ran the, the Mr. Robot Games for DEF CON there the hacker collective, you could think of it. Uh, and I was a, I was a backup to the woman there who runs biohacking village. Her name is Nina Ali, the extraordinary biohacker as well. Um, and after I got done, I didn't need that data on my chip anymore. So I wanted to have it rewritten. Uh, a friend of mine at the time suggested, why not have, uh, have something interesting put on it so that you've always got something there instead of just old data, basically think of it instead of like a USB, just kind of hanging around on the floor someplace. And I said, all right, I want a joke and a prayer. And uh, he made this great suggestion. He said, get Unicode 2020 put on it. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, it's not just the Roman Catholic uh, uh, symbol for cross in Unicode. It's also the literary symbol for a dagger. So you will literally have Christ within you and always be able to get a knife through TSA. And I died. <laughs> that is the greatest idea. So I had that written to the chip in my hand. And you could think of it as almost a subdermal tattoo. It has meaning. It has uh, a, a, a reference point. It's, it's very fascinating to me to think about the combination of spirituality and technology in that fashion. Because then all of a sudden, it meant more to me than just a chip under my skin, like my cat, you know, in the humane society. So that, that's really interesting to me. And you could think of, of where I want to go in, in the field as, as being part of that. Well, that's that's super fascinating. So, okay, so then you've got the NFC chip. So, how does that? What do you, now? How does that work? Uh, that's a near field, so it's a high frequency chip, and you can do lots of cool other stuff with it. Um, I have it in there right now, written with uh, some, actually some some encrypted data that is very fascinating stuff. Uh, and I have it there as part of a, a long running challenge and game with uh, several of my hacker buddies that will be over the course of the next year or so. So it's a secret is the answer. <laughs> so is, is there, is the game that they're going to try to hack your, your hand? Like they, they need to, you know, like, like I'll give you 10 years. You got to figure out what this encrypted thing is that's embedded in my body. Well, I, I'm sure with 10 years they could figure it out. But then again, I don't want the prize to be too great or I might wake up one morning missing something. Um, right, right. So it's, you know, this, the, whole, the whole process of being part of information security is one of just kind of joy and puzzles and inside jokes and fun. Um, I saw a great quote. Uh, one of my, my co-authors, Angie Chang, who founded Women 2.0 and is now a VP at Hackbright Academy uh, out of San Francisco, just posted an article, I think yesterday, uh, talking about women in Portland who was who were attending Hackbright, which is the uh, the coding school out of San Francisco. And she just she had this great quote there. Three women came from Portland to go learn there, and one of them said, "I wish I had known all along that engineering is just about solving puzzles." 
And I just it yeah, almost broke my uh, heart a little bit to see that because there's so many women that don't know that that's what it is. It's just if you like puzzles, this is the place to be. Yeah, the thing about the thing about I love about programming and I love about technology is um, it, it, it takes us. It, what 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 makes it fit for me is is the the banging your head against the keyboard for a, a day or two and then eventually solving the problem and getting that rush of knowing that you beat it. Exactly. Um, you know, and that's, and it happens And with every project I've worked on. That's, that's interesting. It's just a series of, of like frustrating problems after frustrating problems. And you have to kind of like that or there's just not, maybe it's not for you. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which I, I, so this is uh, a follow up. So last, last week we talked about Bitcoin uh, a bit and I had, um, on last week's podcast, I had lost, or at least uh, thought maybe I had lost all my Bitcoin because uh, because of a, a snafu with writing down my my uh, twelve word seed phrase for my wallet. Um, so I, I, I found the Bitcoin. I got it. I finally uh, I got it to work, and it was it was again like as terrible as it was to have lost the Bitcoin. It was a kind of a fun challenge because the the situation was I had eleven of the twelve seed words that I needed to get into this wallet. Somehow, I there, two of the words were really similar to each other, and when I wrote down the seed phrase, um, it uh, I, I left one off the list. Hmm. So when I went to go, so I had I had got the new iPhone and I wiped it, wiped my old iPhone and sold it, and then tried to reload the wallet uh, in, into my Bitcoin wallet uh, on the new phone and realized that I didn't have all twelve words, and I was thinking it might just be done, like that might be it. But I got to do a little bit of learning about about how that process works, and it, it turns out. Hmm. Some of that data is error correction data, so that helped narrow down the choices. And it took me about three days, and I wrote a program that would cycle through and basically brute force it. And uh, and I got I got all the Bitcoin back. Awesome! It was awesome. It, like, do you know how good <laughs> it is to like you're working on it for three days, and then finally you punch in the code that the computer told you that like this program said. I think this this particular string of words has a pretty good chance. And you type in that string of words and you wait for the bit, uh, the blockchain to, to load. And then it like pops up and shows you that your, your balance is back. That's, that's the kind of thing that hacking and, and, and uh, programming as, as, as bad as that, as that situation was like that, that little jolt of like solving the problem is kind of what makes it all worthwhile. Did you, did you start like jumping coming down and celebrating at that moment, Mike, or? No, well, it, it happens slowly. Like, like so, I wrote. So it turns out I, I don't know how interested in the tech that the audience is about this stuff. But uh, so every Bitcoin uh, wallet has an address that's basically like your your like core address. I, I guess it's um, maybe it's like a public key of some kind. And uh, and 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 so when you put in these twelve seed words, it uses those seed words. Each word represents a number between one and and two thousand forty eight. And so these seed words come together to form this really long number. If you punch the right number in, it will give you the the key that you need, and it will match up with the account that was in that that um, that account uh, in your wallet, right? So, so I went to the blockchain and I looked at some transactions that I had done with that wallet to figure out what an address was that was associated with it, and then I had to basically run a program on the computer that uh, that would basically run all the different combinations of the seed words and then create a wallet with those seed words and then check to see if that if that um account number would show up as a valid account for that particular wallet and um and so I set it up and I let it run overnight and and when I came down in the morning it was uh it flagged one of them as having the account and once I saw that I knew there was a pretty good chance that the the funds were going to be there because it's just statistically would be really difficult 
Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, so 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 it came in in phases where I, I I progressively became more and more confident that I was going to be able to solve the problem. And by the time I solved it, I, I wasn't that um, surprised. It's a wonderful feeling too. It's a wonderful feeling to know that you can solve that problem. It's it's just so much joy in it. Yeah, I mean it's it was it's cool. It's it's like a cool problem with math, and it had like a a literal prize at the end. There, I got, I got to get my money back. Yeah, that's you awesome. know, like it's rare that someone says solve this problem for money. <laughs> you know, I mean, aside from like jobs, but like uh, you know, like there's there's a literal treasure inside of a vault somewhere, and if you can figure out what the combination is, you can have it. It's just a, it's a cool problem. Maybe I'll do that. Like if, I don't know, write us if you're interested, but maybe we'll set up a little treasure trove. Like I'll, I'll create a Bitcoin wallet. I'll put some money in it and we'll give everyone that's listening. We'll give them 11 out of the 12 words and see if you can do it. Cause it's totally possible. Um, so somebody first one to do it can have the money. Well, may, this sounds like kind of a fun idea. Uh, maybe Tara, you can help us design the experiment in some, in some fashion. <laughs> I, I would be fascinated uh, by that. I'm cryptocurrency is a, is another interest of mine, and I'm interested in the combination of carrying your money around with you and carrying your money in you, which would be a yeah. fascinating way to do it. That too. would be a perfect thing to stick on. Like those, literally, those twelve words are the key to your to your vault. And uh, so, if you put those twelve words or the the forty character, you know, or the, maybe it's a twenty character word that they represent, uh, you know, stick those twenty characters on your RFID chip, and you're basically carrying around the keys to your vault. Right, but I'm not sure if you want to do that, right? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Really easy for someone to, I don't know, get from you. Right, right. Um, well, interesting. Okay, so Tara, with all these like different things, like you, mm-hmm. you, you've got many, many different things going in your life. Um, like when you think about like your day, like when you start out each day, do you try to figure out like, like how do you prioritize what you're working on so that you kind of maximize your time and, and energy? Um, it's very easy to get overwhelmed with a lot of different things. I think that uh, the first thing that I do is I ask for help when I need it. The second thing is um, if I do, and I, I did this to myself actually last night, if I do start to feel a little overwhelmed, I stop and ask myself uh, not what's the next thing I need to do, but what's going to make me uh, what's going to make me feel better after I've done it. And usually the answer is the most distasteful and yet often shortest thing on my list. Maybe it's something like send an unpleasant email that I've been putting off all day long. And often just doing that will break a log jam and I'll be able to get stuff done. Um, I am, yeah, I, I, I've set my life up so that I can do a lot of different things because I enjoy and love it. Uh, but yeah, it's easy to get overwhelmed. Everybody does. And I think the one thing that I, I often have to tell mentees is you need to realize I experience the same kind of fear and frustration and nervousness and anxiety that you do. And they're like, no, you don't. And I said, yeah, I didn't believe that either until my mentor told me that too. <laughs> none, none of us think we know what we're doing. You need to realize that. So there's always that moment where you get overwhelmed. And I think the thing that, that I take joy in is just I, I ship product. I just get it out the door. I get essays out the door and books and jobs and tasks and things done, and they're not perfect, but every time I do something, I get better for next time. So, yeah, it's a lot of it is just kind of managing my own physical and emotional health. I try to get good sleep. Yeah, uh, right. I work out. I've, I've lost weight. I've tried to get, you know, as healthy as I can be, you know. Given that I have a serious predilection for eating those little pretzel packs on Delta, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, it's a serious problem. Well, the only reason I asked the question is just because it kind of, I mean, kind of indirectly relates to sort of biohacking, maybe not really, but the idea of like, how do you like, how do you make the most of the time you have and focus on the right things and not get lost in things that aren't 
maybe the most important. I don't know. It's something I spent a lot of time thinking about. And uh, actually, we had a great uh, we had a great uh, woman guest on the show who talked about that um, sort of how to how to prioritize your thinking. And um, mm-hmm. anyway, it's just fun to hear what other people do. Uh, mm. See if it if it could work for me. I, I like your idea of what's going to make me feel the best after I've done it. That's a good. Yeah. I, I've lately I've been asking myself, well, yeah, what's going to make me? What, what am I going to be glad for tomorrow that I did today? That's that's one yeah. similar question. But well, super fun, super fun. Thank you so much for being on the show, Tara. So if people want to buy your book, they can find it on Kindle. They can uh, Audible, uh, Audible, Amazon. Just, uh, Audible. Okay, great. Um, and so, and in, in, in you're you're around Seattle a lot. And so I they, am. They show up at, like they show up somewhere where you're going to be. You'll sign it for them. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure when this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure when this uh, podcast is going to go out, but I, I know this weekend is Geek Girl Con, and uh, yeah, so there's going to be. I, I won't be in town for that, but one of the uh, the other Seattle author, Kristen Toth Smith, uh, she's now COO of Dolly, an extraordinary and inspiring person. She and Gabby Weidling, who did some of the puzzles in the book, uh, will be there, and they'll be signing this weekend. Um, yeah, there's there's more to it, by the way. Just so that you folks know, you've heard me talk about puzzles. Go look for some of the puzzles in the book because not a lot of people have noticed them yet. Okay. And you're going to find some pretty interesting things out there if you're into puzzle solving. Go take a look. Yeah. And okay. I'm, I'm happy always to sign the book. Uh, there's upcoming signings. Find me anywhere you, uh, you do. And, uh, you know, don't, try not to track me down at home because, you know, I have attacked cats. <laughs> yeah. You, you, have you involved them in your biohacking experiments yet or – well, I actually, uh, when I had them chipped, I watched the process and, uh, you know, when they were, when they were like, think like four or five months old, you have them chipped and have their information written on them. And I watched it. I thought to myself that, that they don't seem to be too terribly off about it. Um, and so it wasn't that scary having, having it done to me, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Too, I figure if not, a tiny animal can handle it, I can too. Yeah. 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 Well, su- super, super fun. Um, well, Mike, what are any parting thoughts or? No, this is great stuff. We should have you back on. I feel like we could talk about the biohacking thing indefinitely. Like that's yeah. it's, it's the issue's not going away, and it seems like it's just getting more and more interesting. Next time you, next time you, uh, if you ever get the magnets in your fingers, I want to hear about how it feels to to um, have an extra extra sense for for electromagnetic waves. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. I will absolutely do that. Uh, thanks so much. I, I, it's been a pleasure being here. I'm going to be exploring a lot of really exciting topics in the future, and I'm just I'm so glad to be able to connect with folks in Seattle. I've uh, it's it's wonderful being here, and I tell people everywhere that this is the best food in the world, <laughs> and they don't believe me until they come here, and they're like, "Holy cow, this is amazing! The sushi, the food, the God, the steak, the oysters, everything you can find here is just it's wonderful, and it's a great town." I'm Glad to be here. I'm hoping to have a chance to uh, visit with you folks again, maybe catch up for a drink downtown. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. Absolutely. Right. Anytime you're downtown, ping us and we'll get together. I'd love, I'd love to do that, Terry. And we'd love to have you back on the show. And if people want to follow your yeah. kind of – your what do you, Adventures, you I suppose. Uh, hit me on Twitter. Yeah, at Tara. It's my first name, T-A-R-A-H. Okay. That's the best place to kind of follow what you're working on. That's always the best place to reach me, yeah. Or just you know, hang with me on, on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. But yeah, Twitter's where I'll respond. Thank you so much, Tara. Mm -hmm. Great. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you all next week.